Isn't it great to know the one who gives peace in the first place? To know that he will be there to provide for us and to, uh, to make a way for us through those difficult times. And uh, what a blessing. I will tell you that this idea of peace fits so perfectly with what I want to talk with you guys about today. I believe very firmly that the peace of God, which passes all understanding, has been made available to each one of us today. However, I also recognize we live in a world that is not always centered around peace. In fact, we live in a very volatile world. But we know the peace speaker in the midst of that, the one who is there to provide for us. Many of you probably remember the Charlie Brown comic strip that used to uh, be in all of your newspapers. I, I assume it's not in all of the newspapers today. Maybe it is still in some of them. Uh, there was one in particular uh, where Lucy demands that Linus change the TV channel and threatens him with her fist if he doesn't. What makes you think you can walk right in here and take over, says Linus. These five fingers, says Lucy. Individually, they're nothing, but when I curl them together like this into a single unit, they form a weapon that is terrible to behold. Which channel do you want, Lucy? asks Linus. Turning away, he looks at his fingers and says, why can't you guys get organized like that? Well, as long as we live in a broken world, there will no doubt be conflict, and there will be times that it seems like peace is so far away. But today I want you to know that there is peace that is available to each one of us. The conflict that will arise will arise in places that it ought not to be. It ought to show up occasionally. Sometimes we'll see it in our homes. We'll see it in our workplaces. We'll see it in the media, in our political world. And I regret to tell you, sometimes we will even see conflict even in the church. And although conflict can be a very healthy and necessary thing, especially as it forces us to move out of our comfort zones, most of the time conflict is viewed as a very negative thing. Part of the reason for this view is the fact that so few of us know how to handle conflict in a healthy manner. We follow the examples that others have given to us, what we've seen from other people. And unfortunately, those examples are not always great. People do what they think sounds best instead of doing what God says is best in the midst of conflict. Even in scripture, we see multiple examples of conflict. And the people didn't always handle conflict the way that it was supposed to be handled. For example, uh, the first real example of conflict between two people occurs between Cain and Abel. Well, that one actually ended up in murder. That's probably not the way you want to handle conflict. The conflict between Abraham and Lot led to a family separation where Abraham and Lot actually had to go different ways. That doesn't sound like a healthy uh, use of conflict. The conflict, conflict between Saul and David led to Saul's animosity toward the man who probably would have done just about anything to support King Saul. Certainly not everybody in scripture handled conflict well. But God's word does give us a recipe for how we ought to handle conflict in a good way. 
In fact, we're going to look today specifically at the words of Jesus Christ as he addresses the issue and the need for conflict. What I'm going to do is I'm going to bridge two passages of Scripture. One comes from James chapter 4, and we'll look at that in a moment. The other will be in Matthew chapter 18, where Jesus is teaching specifically on how we ought to handle conflict. I want to begin in James chapter 4, though, and I want to begin with verse 1. And it's important for us to realize as we handle conflict that sometimes the conflict is not somebody else's problem. We must first realize that it could be our problem. Look at James chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, just verse 1 for a moment. It says this, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? I emphasize the word you in this verse. In the verses that follow, we see that the root problem at play is you. It is selfishness. It is wanting something and wanting it with wrong motives. It is being filled with pride and arrogance. If we were to look at James 4, 1 through 12, the entire passage, basically it identifies the real problem is you. What's the point? Before you can address conflict with another, the first thing you must do is to examine your own heart. It's possible that the conflict that you currently are experiencing is the result of something in your life and those around you are nothing more than casualties of your own selfishness. We've been looking over the past several weeks at issues that arise in the Christian life. This whole series has been entitled Practical Christianity. And I hate to tell you, there will be times that in the Christian life, we will have to deal with conflict. Well, as a part of that, we need to make sure that we do this right. And we must begin by looking within our own hearts. Let me restate that statement that I gave a moment ago. It is possible that the conflict that you currently are experiencing is the result of something in your life and those around you are nothing more than casualties of your own selfishness. The unfortunate truth is that far too often our selfishness causes us to assume that if there is a conflict among us, it is somebody else's fault. We become blinded to the reality that sometimes God is simply trying to work in us to change us. And maybe the problem isn't this other individual, but maybe the problem is me. Maybe I have an attitude problem. Maybe there's something about me that says it has to be my way and my pride and my arrogance. And perhaps the problem is not them, but perhaps the problem is me. I will tell you, I've never really looked at James chapter 4 as a passage that deals with conflict. But as I look at the instruction that's here, all of a sudden I begin to realize, man, this is all about conflict. If you are to deal with conflict, you must first recognize that the problem really could be me. James makes it incredibly clear in verse 7, as it gives us the remedy, it says, If conflict is being driven by your own selfishness and sin, then the solution is simple. Submit yourselves to God. 
Draw near to him and then resist the devil and he will flee from you. But you must submit yourselves to God. What does that mean? Get out of the way. Stop assuming that everything has to be done your way. The truth is, your way may be causing the conflict. Why not allow it to be done God's way instead? This is the walking humbly before your God, walking humbly with your God that we've been talking about in Micah 6, 8. Quit living for yourself and acting like life is all about you. The point is that maybe before you fix everybody else's problems, you should look within your own heart. Perhaps you are the one who is in need of change, not everyone else. Often in the midst of conflict, we are encouraged to pray for those whom we are in conflict with. And I would suggest that I know at times in my life, maybe I'm not the only one. I have prayed that God would change the heart of the individual I'm in conflict with. And I've skipped over the possibility that maybe God desires to change my heart as well. We need to begin by saying, God, I need you to change my heart because I don't want to get in the way of anything you would have for me. The beauty of this approach is that it actually works. Verse 10 says that if we humble ourselves before the Lord, then he will lift us up. It doesn't necessarily mean that everything will become easy, but it does suggest that it is possible for us to get out of the gutter, to be lifted up. God will move our minds from that sense of bitterness and frustration to a sense of brokenness. And I mean that brokenness in an incredibly positive way. To move our hearts to a sense of mercy and compassion for those around us we'll realize that we are actually no better than those whom we are in conflict with today. But rather, we will seek out reconciliation with those individuals. As we seek out the peace speaker, he genuinely desires that there be peace between us and our brothers and sisters around us. But in order for that to happen, perhaps there needs to be peace within our individual hearts first. I would love to tell you that handling conflict is all about making sure that other people are dealt with properly, but it actually has to begin with us. We need to be willing to say, God, I need you to change me so that as I speak, as I seek your peace, that I will be right first. I will tell you that I want to do something a little bit unusual here. I want us to take a moment. I know I still got time to preach and I'm going to do it. But I want us to stop in the middle of my sermon and I want us to pray because I would imagine today that in a group this size, some of you are dealing with conflict. There are individuals in your life that you've been in disagreement with. And coming into this service, maybe you even saw me post something this week on Facebook saying that we were going to talk about conflict management. So you came in here this morning thinking to yourself, I hope, I hope pastor gives me something so that I can go and address this individual. I can make things right. But as you're sitting here, perhaps you are recognizing that maybe the problem is not them. I don't want to skip over this point. So I want us to pray right now. 
with every head bowed and eye closed, maybe right now you would recognize that there is a conflict in your life. But maybe God needs to change you first. And you would like to see that happen. Would you just raise your hand real quick? I want to be able to pray specifically for you. I see hands up all over. Father, I pray right now that you would begin to move in a mighty way in our individual hearts. Lord, I pray that right now as we consider the brokenness of relationships, the conflicts that are present, Lord, I pray that you would begin with us to change who we are. Lord, there have been times that our selfishness and our pride and our arrogance have kept us from truly living at peace with those around us. Maybe the conflict is with a family member today. Maybe it's with someone in our workplace. Maybe it's someone, I don't know, it doesn't matter who it is. Lord, maybe today they have done wrong. But I pray right now that you would make sure that we are right with you first. Bring peace in our hearts so that as we continue to address whatever conflict may be present, that we would be right with you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. What that prayer basically is, it's, it's removing the plank out of our eye before we start trying to remove the speck of dust out of somebody else's eye. It's us saying, you know what, God, there, there may be things in me and I've been wanting to fix everybody else, but I, I need to make sure that I'm right first. Every one of us needs to begin in that place. Now I want to talk about our passage in Matthew chapter 18, and that's where I'll spend the rest of our time today. We're going to look specifically at verses 15 to 17. I want to read the, the entire, it's only a few verses, I want to read all three verses to you. Assuming that you have followed the instruction from James chapter 4, you have made sure that your heart is right with God before you address any conflict with anybody else, what are you supposed to do? How do you handle conflict? This is what it says in Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 to 17. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Now I'm going to tell you that uh, within these three verses, there is a model for us to be able to handle conflict. And I got to confess, I have not always seen this model followed even in church. There have been times in church that it just seemed easier to go about doing things the way that our, that our world handles conflict, but it is incredibly important that we do things God's way. The three things that we must do begin with this. We must address the sin or the conflict immediately. But why? Does it really matter if we address the conflict, can we just sweep it under the carpet and just hope that it goes away? And my answer is absolutely not. It matters. We have to address conflict when it takes place. 
According to Romans 12, 18, Paul tells us that if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone, which means that if there is anything you can do to help create peace in a relationship, you do whatever it takes to make that happen. We can't just sweep things under the carpet and hope that it goes away. It means that we can't just hope that The individual goes away or the problem goes away because unaddressed conflict always steals the peace of God. And what I mean by that is you guys have all experienced this probably at some point. Maybe there was an individual, there was tension among the two of you. There was some type of conflict. And the moment they walk into the room, you get this uneasy feeling. It's not just because they're awkward people, but because you know that there is some sort of wedge between the two of you. There have been times where we knew we should say something, but we we didn't really want to hurt anybody's feelings. We didn't know exactly how to address it, so we just kind of let it go. And what happened is it caused tension and conflict not to just go away, but rather to drag on for a longer period of time. We cannot, as the body of Christ, simply allow conflict to remain. It doesn't get any better until we reach a point where we are able to address that conflict. But as you address it, I want you to notice the lonely nature of the address. And what I mean by lonely here is nobody else needs to be involved in the process. It's so different from the way our culture handles conflict. According to Jesus' words, we are to address the sin or the offense Just between the two of you, far too many times, we want to talk about our issue with somebody else ahead of time. Far too many times, we want to develop a support group that will help us feel justified in our position. Far too many times, we want the pastor or somebody else to address the issue rather than us simply going to the individual ourselves. By the way, I've seen some pretty, quote-unquote, godly people do this. I admit, I've even seen pastors do this. We justify it by saying that it's an issue that we simply need people to pray about. You know, gossip sometimes is disguised as prayer. We justify it by saying it's an issue that maybe we want to check ourselves on first. I don't want to address this because maybe the real problem is me. So, you know, let me talk to a few other people to see if maybe they see things the same way. And if I go to one brother and he says, well, I don't see it the same way that you do. Well, I just asked the wrong one. So I'll go to somebody else until I find somebody else who agrees with me until the point that basically everybody else has heard about the problem before the individual that I have the problem with. It is so easy in the body of Christ for us to do things the way everybody else does it, but clearly God's word tells us that as we address that conflict, as we address this sin, this issue, it is to begin with me and you. I am to go to the one that has offended me, the one who has made a poor choice, and we are to address it together, and you have nothing to do with it at that point. 
because really my issue is with them. So the first thing that we must do is to address the issue. We need to address sin. We need to address conflict. It cannot be ignored. The second thing we must do, first we address it, then we press it. And what I mean by that is basically we push a little bit harder. The unfortunate reality is that not everyone will receive correction in a positive manner. I know that I would prefer to simply avoid correction altogether. Nobody likes to have someone else tell them that they've done something wrong. Nobody likes to have someone else call them out for their actions or their attitudes or their words. But what do you do when you address the conflict and it's not received well? According to Matthew 18, then and only then... Do you involve others in this conflict? Going back to one of my previous points, if you have not addressed this conflict directly with the individual, you have no business addressing this conflict with somebody else. But if you have addressed the conflict and it was not received well, we are actually instructed to get one or two others as witnesses to come alongside. Get someone else to come alongside you and address the conflict. But be careful to understand the purpose of this. It is not to shame the individual, but rather to seek restoration. Consider the first part of James 4.11. It says, brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Your goal is not to embarrass the individual or to make a mockery of them. It's not so you can smear the name of the one who has offended you. It's so that they can see that this is more than just one person's blind ignorance. This is a legitimate concern. And it's based on our corporate love for the individual. This idea of pressing the issue is all about saying, I'm not okay with letting this pass. I care too much for you. I love you. And I don't want to see this become a stumbling block to you or our relationship. So we address it. Then, if necessary, we press it. The last part of this is perhaps the least desirable side of conflict. Jesus tells us that if they still will not listen, then we should tell it to the rest of the church. For the sake of rhyming, since we've already addressed it and we've pressed it, I use the phrase, we should undress it. What I mean by that is to expose it, to not just keep it a secret. In Matthew 18, 17, it goes on further to suggest that you should have nothing to do with the individual. Cut them off. My question is, what is the value of, of such extreme measures. And I'll keep this answer incredibly brief. Romans 14:13 says this. By the way, in your bulletin I think it says Romans 13:13 13, 13, and I used the wrong reference. It should be 14:13. 13. It says, "Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister." There are two points within this verse, and it answers this question. First of all, the purpose of bringing 
an issue of conflict before the body of Christ is not to pass judgment on others. Actually, remember, we've already, by the time we reach this point, this is a last resort. We have tried to bring reconciliation, to bring healing, to make things right. This is not about passing judgment on an individual. I think for far too long, the church has been good at passing judgment on others. And that is not the purpose here. However, we need to recognize that a worst case scenario would be that the sin of one individual might be multiplied among the body of Christ because we simply sweep it under the carpet and pretend like it's not a big deal. The last thing I would ever want would be for my attitude, my actions to become a stumbling block to someone else. But for far too long, the body of Christ has been willing to simply sweep things under the carpet and it's not healthy. We must address conflict. We must press it at times. And unfortunately, there are times that we also need to undress the conflict to truly bring it before the people, not for the sake of belittling anybody, but simply so that this doesn't continue to happen. To summarize this, I want to go back to my primary passage that I've used over this entire series. It's in Micah 6.8. What does the Lord require of you? He answers the question, says to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Acting justly is when we begin to first examine our own hearts. Who am I to come and address sin or conflict in your life when I have not yet addressed the issue of sin and conflict in my own life? That is the acting justly. If we cannot genuinely come before the Lord and ask him to reveal to us if the problem lies within us, we are not fit to address conflict with another. We must begin by acting justly. Loving mercy, that's when we address the issue with others. But we do it in a merciful way. We do it in a way that opens up the door for reconciliation and restoration so that it's not an issue of judgment so much as it's us declaring that God does not desire to see our relationship broken. What can we do to fix this? I love you. It's not that I'm angry with you, but I love you and I want to see this fixed. Even this issue of bringing a, a witness or another witness with you even that is an act of mercy. Again, our desire is to, to press this issue because we can't just leave this alone. And then this walking humbly with your God. It is hard to bring needs like this even before the body of Christ. But the body of Christ is stronger when we push each other. Iron sharpens iron. We have the privilege of encouraging one another Doing things God's way sometimes is uncomfortable, but it is what we must do. This morning, we are going to participate in communion. As we participate in the Lord's Supper in communion, we do so with hearts that hopefully are right before our God. Remember that statement that I read from the Apostle Paul? If it is possible, as much as it depends on you, 
make every effort to live at peace with one another. As we come before the Lord's table, what we are basically doing is celebrating the peace speaker. He's the one who gives us peace in the first place. As we come, if there is not peace in our hearts and in our lives today, something is wrong. Because we misunderstand what he came to do. First of all, he came to save us from our sins. To bring peace between us and our Heavenly Father. He has made it possible that whatever sin might have existed within our lives, for it to be completely wiped out, completely forgiven, never to be brought up, brought up against us again. He has given us this peace. But he has also given us his Spirit which now dwells within us. And to tell you the truth, if the Spirit of God is truly dwelling in you, the peace of God should be as well. And if the peace of God is truly in you, then shouldn't your relationships reflect that peace of God? I believe today that as we approach the throne of God, which is really what we do in the act of communion, it would be of great value to us to simply ask God, to bring true peace in our lives. If there's an offense against a brother, go and address it. Make sure that there is peace so that as you come and celebrate the Lord's Supper, truly you will understand the peace that he gives. Maybe some of this sounds crazy to you. How can, I mean, we're, we're just taking bread and grape juice and we're celebrating the death of Jesus. What does that have to do with the relationships that I have with other people? My answer is very simple. Everything. You see, I look at Brother Jackie different today because of the peace that God gave me. I look at Paula differently, both Paulas differently, because of the peace that God gave me. Every relationship you have is affected by the peace that he gave. Jesus was one who laid down his life. People who hated him, he offered them peace and grace. Can I not offer peace to those around me because of the body that was broken and the blood that was shed for me? If you would bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Father, as we come before you today, we are grateful for your peace. We're grateful for the body that was broken and the blood that was shed on our behalf. We know that you are the Prince of Peace. But at times we have lived such conflicted lives that peace seems almost a figment of our imagination. Today, Lord, I ask that your peace, which passes all understanding, would overflow in this room. I pray, first of all, for that peace between us and you. Where sin has existed, you have paid the price for our sin. And today, Lord, there is nothing to keep us from coming boldly before you and your throne. Lord, I pray today for the forgiveness of sins. I pray for your peace. I pray for an internal peace where perhaps we have been the ones who have been fighting not only against other people, but even against you. Lord, I pray that truly we would experience peace today 
irrelevant to what anybody else experiences. Let us experience your peace. Lord, I do pray for those relationships. There are relationships that we struggle with. Maybe because there are some hard people in our lives, we recognize that there are difficult situations that all of us will face. We live in a broken and fallen world. Lord, I pray that you would, as much as it is possible, make peace between us and them. Lord, I pray that you would fill us today with your spirit so that as we go and share our brokenness, our concerns, we would do so not in a judgmental way, but truly in a loving and compassionate way. Lord, help us to be your instruments of peace. Right now, as we prepare to partake in the Lord's Supper, Father, I pray that you would truly remind us of what your sacrifice meant, the body being broken and the blood being shed. Truly, allow us to celebrate your peace in this moment. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I've got a couple ministers who are going to come, and they're going to help me serve um, actually, Brother Raymond, Brother Willett, and Jackie, if you would as well. Uh, we're going to serve communion this morning, and I know that these are just common, ordinary elements. It's just bread, and it's ju just grape juice. But they represent something that is very special. It is the body of Jesus Christ and the blood of Jesus Christ, which was shed on our behalf. Jesus, as he met with his disciples took these two elements. In their case, it would have actually been wine, probably fermented. Two elements that would have been used at every meal. He said, every time you eat this bread, I want you to remember my body that's broken for you. Every time you drink this wine, I want you to remember my blood that is shed for you. Because without the shedding of my blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Today, we are going to celebrate that. Now, you guys know you've heard me tell it before. Y'all should do the same thing when you're at lunch today. When you go eat dinner tonight, every time you eat this, remember my body that was broken for you. Every time you drink this, remember my blood that was shed for you. The purpose was to constantly keep this in front of the people of God so that they would always know that he is the reason they have a hope. He is the reason they would have peace. Today, what we're going to do is we're going to open up the altar. You guys will be able to come and receive the elements. Uh, as you come, I'm going to ask you to take it back to your pew. Once everyone has received it, then we will all partake of the elements together. If those ministers would come forward at this time, we will set up a station over here and a station over here as well. So you guys can come to either side. elements of communion this morning.
Is there anyone else who was unable to come forward that perhaps you would like for us to bring the elements to you? partook of those elements the disciples really did not understand what was taking place they came expecting a king and he would show himself to be the king of kings and the lord of lords but not by human standards for he did not do things the way they expected he allowed his body to be broken his blood to be shed so that truly he could establish a new kingdom. And today we celebrate that new kingdom. We are new creations in him with a new promise and a new life. And it is only because of what he did. He took the bread and he said, every time you eat this, do it in remembrance of my body that's broken for you. He then took the wine and he talked about his blood being shed. And he said, this represents my blood that is shed for you. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Every time you drink this, remember my blood that was shed for you. Father, as we come before you, I ask that your Holy Spirit would truly come upon us and help us to truly appreciate this act. We know that for many, this is nothing more than a ritual. But to us, it is a celebration of life. It is a celebration of peace that you alone have given. Lord, I pray today that you would help us to live in celebration, not just in this moment, in this act of communion, but to live in celebration of what you did for us. Fill us today with your spirit. Help us to know your peace in everything that we do. In Christ's name we pray, amen. I do ask if you would with the the cups, if you just leave them there, we will take care of uh, making sure that they're disposed of afterwards. I thank you for being a part of our service this morning and go in peace.